following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're going to come to the part of our service now where we look at God's Word together. And all the co-mission churches across London have been given the same passage this day, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Just a, one verse in the Bible, Sam's going to preach on that. Before that happens, Trina is going to come and read to us. I think it's page 1,219. So it's page 1,219, starting at uh, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may, be, you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's, um, it's a real joy to be with you. I, um, I was on your very first weekend away um, back in the day doing the um, music as a favor for Ed. Uh, it's nice to come back and see the building refurb and, and um, yeah, joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, why don't we pray as we come to God's Living God, you are a speaking God. And we thank you so much for these words that are ahead of us today. Well, we trust that these are your words that you want us to hear. I trust it's no accident that we're here in this room, hearing them. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd be amongst us, taking these words that you've caused to be breathed into existence and applying them into our hearts now. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I don't know what kind of um, Christmas and, and, and New Year time you've had. And I don't know about you, I find, it a really, I find it a really funny time to be a Christian, Christmas and New Year. Because there's so much stuff that happens around Christmas and New Year that's like basically the same whether you're a Christian or not. And I kind of feel like, this is meant to be like a Christian thing. What was it look like to do this as a Christian? Um, we, all, we all kind of eat the same food. We all sit down and watch the king. We all um, exchange the same sorts of presents. James's jumper does the rounds. Um, we all sort of pretend we like the presents and then we sort of also politely ask for the receipt a little bit later on in the evening. Um, we sort of open a similar kind of bottle of wine at some point. We sort of toast in New Year. We, we all sort of do similar stuff. And, and it can feel like the only real difference between Christians and, and non-Christians when it comes to Christmas is that when we sing the carols, we actually sort of mean it. Like, oh, come let us adore him. Yeah, we want to do that. Um, it can feel like that's the only difference kind of around Christmas time. But beyond that, are, are we just the same? Are we just the same Christians and, and, and non-Christians? 
One Peter is such a helpful book to have in front of us as we start 2024 because Peter reminds us time and time again we are, we are not the same. We are, we are not the same. There's a clear us and them. And, and, and we might face hostility from them. And we mustn't sink to their level. We mustn't repay evil with evil. I don't know if you, if you picked up on it as those, as those verses were read. Peter paints a world where we are not the same. And all of that, all of that's perfectly normal. That was true in Peter's day, that's true in our day. That's, that's, that's nothing strange about that. That's, that's always been how it's been. In fact, in fact, as we're going to see, that is, that's exactly how God wants it. God wants us to be different. He wants us to stand out from the world around us. And we're going to spend our time mostly in, um, in verse 15. And verse 15, it begins with this call. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Set him apart. Set him apart as Lord. That's, that's, where, that's where confident Christianity begins. That's where confident Christian witness begins. Set him apart as Lord. Revere him as Lord. Christians know that um, Jesus Christ is Lord of this city. Not Sadiq Khan. Christians believe that, that, that Jesus Christ deserves our ultimate allegiance, not the latest kind of cultural trends and, and middle-class norms. Christians live for the approval of Jesus Christ, not the approval of, of, of our friends and our colleagues. Revere him as Lord. He is number one. We've just sung it, haven't we? Name above all names. Worthy of our praise. Revere him as Lord. Set him apart as Lord. And actually, if we resolve in our hearts to do that, if we live like that, and we spend any kind of prolonged period of time anywhere near a non-Christian, we're going to stand out. We, we are going to stand out. That is, that is a different way of life. That is not normal in, 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 in 2024 in the UK. We are, we are not the same. And that is exactly how God wants it. Because we, we have something unique and precious. We have something that our world desperately needs. We have treasure. We have hope. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. That's our verse for this evening. We have hope. And people are going to ask us about it. I've got two, kind of two truths and two implications. Okay, so two little points, two implications. It's pretty straightforward. Two points. We have a distinctive hope and we have a reasonable hope. Two implications. Be ready to give an answer. Be respectful when you answer. Okay. We have a distinctive hope. We have a reasonable hope. Be ready. That's where we're going. Okay. So first thing then, we, we have a distinctive hope. We have a distinctive hope. I'll never forget the, uh, 
the summer of, of 2020, there was a week where there were two deaths in my family, and we also got the news of the passing of the husband of actually one of the mission partners of Christchurch May. It was a, it was a week that I'm never going to forget. Um, in some ways, the one that hit us hardest was the passing of my brother-in-law, who um, just dropped dead in the night, out of the blue, so, age 35, um, dad with a young family, uh, leaving behind a wife and two young boys. Uh, it was COVID 2020, you remember those days? Um, so we watched the funeral online rather than in person. Um, you could tell the grief was raw, right? This was, this was a man who'd been on staff at his local church up in Dundee. Um, it, was it was completely unexpected, completely tragic. Um, but the last song they sung at the funeral was this. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never failed me all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Now, come on. How can Christians sing that at a funeral when a man has died leaving a young widow and two young boys who will grow up without a father? Answers, we have hope. We have a distinctive hope. 1 Peter 3.15 assumes that non-Christians will want to come and ask us questions about the hope that we have. Because the hope that we have is weird. It's distinctive. It's different. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Why is it? Why is it, someone might ask, why is it you keep giving money away to your church? Why? why? You know there's a cost of living crisis. You can't even... Why do you keep giving money away? Answer, we have hope. We're not storing up treasure on earth. We're storing up treasure in heaven, right? How can you be living with chronic pain, someone else might ask, constantly finding reasons to thank and praise God? We have hope. We rejoice in suffering, the Bible says, knowing that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope is not for us to shame. Or, or how can you sing of the goodness of God at a funeral? We have hope. We, have, we know that, that death is not the end. We know that those who have died in Christ will rise first and that we will see them again forever in a renewed and restored creation where life will only be good all the time and death will be no more. We have hope, friends. We have a distinctive hope. We have a hope that our world finds strange and wants to ask about. Their hope is in this life. Ours is eternal. We sung that with our first song, didn't we? Our hope springs eternal. Their hope takes hard, words, takes hard work to achieve. Our hope is given to us freely by Jesus free gift from him. Their hope is, is uncertain. Ours is guaranteed. We have a distinctive hope. And 1 Peter 3.15 assumes that we will be in some context alongside non-Christians and they're going to want to ask us about our hope. Now, we live in London, right? 
breakdown of community in London has been well documented and it's a thing. And, and, and so we might, need this, like we might need to go looking for a context where we are actually alongside non-Christians. We live in this weird age where everyone lives in their own kind of little family bubble in their house. The walls of your house are the only place you ever go. So we might actually need to kind of push the boat out and find a context where we're actually regularly rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. I don't know what it's like for you, whether you sort of feel like you live bubble or whether actually you're all the time around non-Christians um, I know for me it, actually I need to push myself out a little bit more and so maybe it's a sports club or maybe it's the touch line at your kids sports club or or you know there, there are two families in our street we're trying to lean into relationships with them at the moment because they've got kids of similar age don't know who it's going to be for you but e- even with just a little bit of proximity you can expect uh, even with just a little bit of openness between you you can expect questions you can expect them to ask about about your hope, because we have we have a distinctive hope. First, but secondly, we have a reasonable hope. Oh, look at this on the screen. Okay. We have a reasonable hope. We have a reasonable hope. I think, like most most non-Christians I chat with these days, I don't know what it's like for you. They, tend to go for some kind of agnosticism. Atheism is very kind of early noughties. People seem to go for agnosticism these days, which is kind of like, oh, you know, I get you believe it, and I sort of respect you for doing that. It's just not, like, not really for me. Do you see the assumption behind that? Okay, the, assu- the assumption behind that is there are equally good reasons for not believing as there are for believing. You've got some reasons, and I've got some other reasons, and they're just equally good, and you've gone for that, and I've gone for this. Friends, I don't think we can live with that assumption. I don't think it's true. Christian hope is not just, it's not just, oh, it's true for us, we've got some reasons to think it might be. No, the Christian hope is true. It's reasonable. And 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that our hope, our hope is reasonable. There are reasons why we have such a hope. And those reasons are explainable. They are reasonable. We have a reasonable hope. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. Notice that there are reasons we can give for the hope that you have. Now the word here translated um, answer, always be prepared to give an answer, it's the word, it's the word apologia the word apologia, from which we get the word apologetics. Um, and an, an apologia is a, is a legal defence. I'm not sure if there are any lawyers here. Um, oh, Mrs. Prosecutor, you claim X. Well, let me give you my apologia. Let me give you my, my, my legal defence. Um, and actually, the taste of Christianity is, is so watertight that, that actually the only way you could claim it's untrue is if you actually don't want it to be true which is actually what the Bible says that we all do instinctively without Christ. Like it, the case is watertight. We, we have a reasonable hope. Let me just give a few ways in which that's true. Think about, um, think about our desires. I should put this on the screen. But um, C.S. Lewis famously says this in, in um, his book, Mere Christianity. He says this. Preachers are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such thing as water. People feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. 
But, and this is where it gets interesting, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, our desires point us to the fact that it's reasonable, it's reasonable to think that we have a hope. We constantly live day to day with unfulfilled desires, desires that no experience in this world can satisfy. Is it not reasonable to conclude with Lewis that we were made for another world? We have a, we have a reasonable hope. Or, um, or think about our relationships. I don't know about you. I, there are some friends, I just love them to bits, and I feel like no amount of time is ever enough with them. I don't know if, you had, if you've kind of um, seen people like that over Christmas. You just oh, I wish we had about four times the amount of time that we've had. Um, and actually that even when somebody I love is, is taken from me in death we're told oh it's just you know death is just a natural and it's not natural if you, if you experience the death of a close friend or, or family member it does not feel natural it feels like the least natural thing in the world because this living person who you had a real relationship with is not there anymore feels like a cruel invader has come and stolen away somebody that you love. Relationships point us to them. Is it, is it not reasonable to conclude that our, our soul is immortal and there is life after death? That actually we're eternal beings and we, and we long for eternal relationships? It's, it's a reasonable conclusion. Or, or think, and this is really the kind of, kind of the bedrock. Think about the historical man, Jesus Christ. No religious leader has ever claimed what he claimed to have died and, and risen again. Muhammad never claimed that. He never dared claim that because it's such an outrageous claim. And how easy it would have been, as soon as rumours of Jesus' resurrection started to spread, how easy it would have been to squash those rumours. You just produce the body. You go, here he is, he's dead. But here we are 2,000 years later. Nobody's ever done that. You can go and visit the tomb of Muhammad. You can't visit the tomb of Jesus Christ. Because he has no tomb. And is it not reasonable to conclude that this man, Jesus Christ, might have some useful things to say about life after death. Friends, don't, don't be frightened into thinking that there are equally good reasons for belief and unbelief. Okay. It's just not the case. As the Apostle Paul said when he was on trial before Governor Festus, the, these things are true and reasonable. We, we, have, a, we have a reasonable hope. So we have a distinctive hope, we have a reasonable hope. So two implications as we close. Be, be ready to give an answer and be respectful when Firstly, be ready. We are going to stand out. We have a distinctive hope and our hope can be explained. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason the hope that you have. Now look, we're not, not all of us, we're not all called to be church planters. Not all of us are called to be street preachers. Not all of us are called to be full-time evangelists. But we are, all of us in this room, every single one of us, called to this. Be ready 
be ready. Always be prepared. Now we know what it looks like to be ready for a, like a, a presentation. You bring your notes. We know what it looks like to be ready for rain. You pack an umbrella or a coat or poncho or you know whatever you do. We know what it looks like to be ready for a, a, a dinner party. You, like you lay the table, you get ready for people to come. Um, what does it look like for us to be ready? Always ready. Always be prepared. What does it look like for us to be ready to speak about our faith? Well, I think there's a couple of things. A couple of things. Um, I think it means expecting it, right? I, um, not being not being thrown when it comes. I've been in conversations and you know we're sort of chatting and like chatting along fine, and then suddenly the conversation turns to God, and then I realise I'm in one of those evangelistic conversations, and I suddenly feel a burden to like say everything I've ever heard about Christianity in one sentence and and sort of forget how to do an ordinary conversation. I don't know if you've ever done that. I I find that can happen. The sort of blood starts pumping and you think, oh, God, I made the most of this. And you just splurge. I don't think the splurge is very helpful. In an ordinary conversation, in case you've forgotten, someone, someone speaks for a bit and then asks a question and then the other person speaks for a bit and then they ask a question. You sort of bounce it back and forth. That's how conversation... I mean, like you know this, right? This is how, this is how conversations work. Um, and, uh, you know, so someone asks you, you know, how is it you can sing joyful songs at church when you're going through a hard time? Um, being ready means, means expecting it. You say, oh, you know, oh, it's because I, uh, I, I follow Jesus and, and, and actually um, he endured suffering because he knew that heaven was ahead of him. And then you ask a question, you throw it back. You know, what do you think about Jesus? Have you, you, know, have you thought much about him? You just, so you just say something, you don't have to say everything, just say something and then, and then, and then throw it back. Ask a question and, and you have a conversation. You, you know, they might speak for a bit and ask you a question and you go back and forth. Okay, so say something about Jesus and ask a question. Be ready, be expecting it. Don't be surprised when it comes and don't, don't kind of suddenly panic and, oh, I've got to say everything. No, just, just have a conversation. Just be ready. If they don't want to take the conversation forward, just, it's fine, just take the hint and move on. It's all right. Um, don't leave them feeling that every time they mention God around you, they're going to be in for a 45-minute conversation and that's the minimum. Um, you know, if you can be the first one to end it, even better. You know, I, like say something for a little bit, see, like, see how far it goes. Yeah. Anyway, being ready means expecting it. That's the first thing. But maybe, maybe being ready also means preparing a little bit. Preparing. And to be honest, I don't really like. I, I was trying to think, what does it actually look like to prepare well to share your faith? And I just think there's loads of stuff you can do. Um, you could read a book. You can read a book on how to share your faith. Here's a some, here's some I brought off my bookshelf. Um, this, is, this is The Air We Breathe by Glenn Scrivener. This is cracking if you've not read this. He basically shows how all of the things we love in our culture, you can only have them because of Christianity. It's it very clever. Um, this one, Seven Reasons to Reconsider Christianity by Ben Shaw, who was a, a former pastor of the Boathouse Church, another commission church. This is really good. Um, this one, Rebecca McLaughlin, Confronting Christianity, 12 Questions for the World's Largest Religion. She basically takes all of the hardest questions your friends are likely to ask and gives like, the best answer you can ever imagine to those questions. So if you want to be like, pre-armed, this book's an absolute cracker. So you can read one of those. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer when someone asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Or it might be, I mean, I, I don't really know you guys. It might be there's somebody at church who's just like, everyone knows, is, is like really good at answering, answering tough questions about Christianity or like really good at sharing their faith. 
Um, you, could, you could maybe just hang out with them a bit. Or you could say to them, look, could we just go knock on a couple of doors like, around locally and just see how they have conversations about Jesus? That, that's how, that, that, I think, is how I've learned to speak about Jesus. I've just hung out with people who are really good at doing it and just kind of, like, learned from them. Um, so you could, yeah, you could talk to James. You, you could say, James, could, you know, you're good at, you know, you, but you, you're employed to speak about Jesus. Can you go and knock on some doors come with you and see you do it? Um, James would love to talk with you, I'm sure, Simon, otherwise. People. Um, you can do that. Uh, you can listen to a podcast. There's a, there's a podcast produced by um, St. Peter's Fulham, called Table Talk, where they, like, they're in a the habit of just having, just having conversations with people about the kind of stuff non-Christians are talking about. Always be prepared. When someone asks you, you can prepare beforehand. There's loads of stuff you can do. I went onto the, um, onto the 10 of those website this week. I ordered 25 of these little tracts that just say, thanks for your help. And the idea, I think, with these is that um, you can give them to the person behind the checkout or, or the, kind of the bus driver as you hop off and just say thanks so much for driving my bus, here's one of these, and you, just, you can kind of put your details on the back. You can read it, and, and if there's anything in there that, you know, there's like a little kind of gospel explanation, um, they can ask you about it. This kind of came out, I was, I was thinking, just as I, if I'm prepared for rain, I pack my umbrella leave the house. What does it look like to be prepared? What does it look like to always be ready to speak about Jesus when I leave the house? Maybe having a few of these on you could help, I don't know. Kind of, there's like a scattergun of, of things you could do to kind of be prepared, to be ready. Um, being ready means expecting it, and it means, it means preparing. Be ready to give an answer. And final thing, final implication, be respectful when you answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But 1 Peter 3.15 finishes, do this with gentleness and respect. It actually doesn't matter one jot if we win the argument. We want to win people. And if in winning the argument we lose the person we've lost, we need to be ready to give an answer. We say what we can and we trust God. We don't badger people. We don't belittle people. We don't patronize people. Titus 3 reminds us at one time we too were, were foolish, disobedient, and deceived. Like we, we know better. So trust in the power and the reasonableness of the Christian message. You don't have to kind of badger them. So how do we conclude? Two truths. We have a distinctive hope. We have a reasonable hope. Two implications. Be ready to give an answer. And be respectful when you answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason, hope that you have. Sometimes this world can be a really hard place to be. We are going to stand out from the world around us. We are going to be different. We are going to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. God has us just where he wants us. He wants us to live different and he wants us to speak up. Because we have something unique and precious. We have treasure to share with the world. We have, we have hope. And as I said earlier, I wonder, I wonder, could, could this be, could this be one of the historically most important times ever in the city of London? People have come to London 
And God in his wisdom and his providence has put us here in this city at this time. He's put you in the particular place he's put you. He's put you on the street that he's put you. He's put you in the clubs where he's put you. He's put you in the workplace where he's put you. You might be the only Christian that people know. And we have hope. We have hope. So what, what, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that you could do to be ready? When someone asks you about your hope, what's the one thing you can do to be ready to give an answer? Why don't we just spend a couple of moments in silence just thinking about that. What's the one thing? You might want to write it down. You might want to scribble it on your phone or whatever. What's the one thing you could do to be ready to give an answer when somebody asks you for the, a reason for the hope that you have? It's one thing. Let's leave a moment and then I'll praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our Father, we praise you for that living hope. We praise you that we, out of all of the people in this world, we are those who have hope. Because Jesus Christ has risen and he is at your right hand and one day we will see him face to face. Lord, we have hope and you have put us in this city. You've put us alongside alongside non-Christians. Lord, we are not the same as them. We stand out. We have a distinctive hope. We pray, Father, we ask for your help now that you would help us to be ready. Help us to be ready to give an answer when, when asked about our hope. Help us to have a deep desire to share this good news message with those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.